And thank you for joining me while we take a mostly serious look at the realities of addiction and rising through recovery. Hey guys, it is Tuesday and that means usually we have a uh, a success story, somebody who has risen from the ashes of addiction and into the awesomeness of recovery. And it would be rather braggish of me to say that today because today I'm going to be the subject of the interview. Carl the Atheist reminded me last week that the listeners really don't know much about me. And back when I first started the podcast and I was doing stupid funny stories, a lot of my stories, my story came out in those, you know, short stories. And of course those are gone now. So there's really nothing left to kind of tell you about who I am. And with my mom coming on at the end of the week here, we decided that this was a great time to handle that. And kind of get my story out there. So I'm lucky in that I have Scott from the No New Friends podcast, who is a consummate professional, put a little bit of humor on things as well. And um, for a guy that's never had anything to do with addiction, it's quite passionate about our cause. He's decided that uh, he's going to come on and conduct the interview, do a a chair switch with me. So I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, Just a quick couple things before we do that. Uh, This week is dedicated to Tag Lee, that's Julie's son, who yesterday she she submitted an amazing memorial piece for him. And I promised you guys a little bit more about Tag as the week went on. So I'm going to play that. Then we're going to do a quick PSA, uh, the public service announcement, and we're going to get into the interview. So uh, stick around for a minute. It's Julie again from Alaska. Tag's mom. I sure am loving sharing all these stories and both funny and serious about my son. It helps me to share about him because one of the worst fears a mother has is that people will forget about their loved ones that they've lost. As a mom, we relive it every single day. Every morning that we wake up, we relive again that our child isn't here. And being able to share and tell people who he was is just comforting in itself. I'm I'm not sure why, but I'm really enjoying this. Tag was the life of any party. He lit up the room as soon as he entered. Everyone wanted to be friends with him, both young and old. He was so respectful. He loved having discussions with people and always kept it civil, even though his beliefs were not in line with probably 99% of the population. He wasn't a fighter, though, and he hated arguments. He would respectfully and peacefully state his opinion on a topic. He was smart, and he usually did a ton of research before forming an opinion about any issue. He was particularly passionate about past lives, string theories, and various paranormal ideas. He and I had some pretty incredible discussions. I really, really miss those discussions so much. 
Tag was a free thinker and was always thinking outside the box. When he got carried away on a certain subject that people didn't see eye to eye with him, on they would yell out, Tag, you're it. And that was the clue that the subject should be changed. We'll be right back after this quick public service announcement. Hey guys, it is time for the PSA. And the PSA is now brought to you by the Partners and Spouses of Addicts Facebook group, where they support healing from the chaos of a loved one's addiction through peer support. And the PSA is vote Narcan once again. Guys, I feel pretty strongly that everybody should keep this around. I know most of you are never going to be around irresponsible opioid use, but you never know when it's going to be around you. You can save the life of somebody that's loved and that loves and it's free at all harm reduction centers, a lot of pharmacies. And if you can't find it in your area, send me an email, ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. I'll do the legwork for you and I'll figure it out where you can find it for free. If you can think of a good reason that you shouldn't have any, I'll give you five more that say that you should. Hey everybody, this is Scott from the No New Friends podcast. And I am super honored to be here today. Chuck asked me to conduct this interview. And first of all, Chuck, Thank you so much for trusting me with this huge responsibility. This is a huge responsibility, and I really appreciate you trusting me with that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Second of all, as I always say on the Thursday episodes, the Just the Tips Thursday, uh, I am not an expert here. I am not um, – I, I don't – I've never been exposed to the lifestyle of an addict. I've never known really an addict. Uh, outside of cigarettes and all that. So if there's words that I say that are not the correct word or if there's phrases, please forgive me. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just uneducated on it. And that's why I enjoy this podcast so much is because it's an education for me uh, and and what Chuck is doing is so important. Now, with that all being said, you're used to hearing me on Thursday where we're silly. You know, I'm the host of an adulting podcast, uh, a podcast for adults who like to laugh at adulting. That's not what today's about. And I want to be clear on that. So if you're used to hearing me cut up and all that, uh, that's not going to happen today. So with that being said, Chuck, I want you to take me back to the beginning and not the beginning of addiction. I want I want you to take me to your childhood. What what was that like? Okay. And and that's a funny one. Um, I mean, the childhood, well, childhood is funny in itself, but uh, people quite often think of people who are addicts as having these kind of disturbed or, you know, weird childhoods or whatever in Mine was pretty damn normal. Uh, we lived in the country, uh, for, for the last part of my, you know, for my teen years anyway. I, I can, in a normal day, I could dirt bike, I could sailboat, I could canoe, I could horseback ride. And we did all of these things often in one day, right? So, you know, I have a twin brother, um, normal responsibilities, all of these things, right? So pretty normal childhood, really. Yeah. Okay. So when did you, when did you, first time when when did you try your first drug so when were of course you exposed to that for me um alcohol and drugs the, the difference is legislation in my mind i'm there sure very much the same thing so uh 14 years old um, we bought a, a four liter drug a draft from the uh from the local pub and went and sat and drank that in the park right so that, okay yeah and, and then shortly after that um hash because back then uh, marijuana was actually less common but um, hash and i think oil and messed around with that for, for a few years, really, before I got into anything in, intense anyway. Yeah. Okay. So was that uh, just trying to get into your, your, your head a little bit? Was that a, a peer pressure thing? Was that like, uh, hey, everybody else is doing it? Was that just something that you wanted to experiment with? What was, what was the decision uh, making process in, in trying it? I, I feel 
I feel like it was just something I wanted to try like everybody else was, right? It wasn't pure pressure, but not without the pressure, I guess, really. Just this, sure. hey, this is what we're doing. Let's do it, right? I'm in. So, And I've been a risk taker from day one, right? My mom just, she finally, it was not that long ago, maybe less than two years ago, she says, I get it, you're a risk taker, but you just need to calm the fuck down, right? So, right. right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you started with uh, the the marijuana or mm-hmm. the hash. <laughs> Same thing. Um, yeah. Right. What age was that at? Fourteen. Fourteen still. Yeah. Fourteen. Okay. So so the the, the draft at the pub, uh, we call it a bar down here, and then uh, it now we we have pubs too, and then into uh, the marijuana. Yeah. So when when you when you were experimenting with marijuana, is that something that your family was aware of? Oh, God, did you no. keep that to yourself? Okay. So no, yeah. still young enough we're kind of afraid of the consequences. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, as far as being in trouble. <laughs> yeah, okay. no. Oh god, no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They okay. So you mentioned a key moment where things shift for you and that I'm assuming that's shifting from marijuana into harder no narcotics. No. Um okay. my life changed drastically in that I left home when I was fourteen. Um, cause I knew oh, wow. everything. Okay. I, I had it all figured out. I knew everything and it was time to go. Sure. Right. Um, but, but even then I, life without rules was crazy. Right. So, um, my other friends got to be home by nine o'clock and I'm like doing whatever the hell I want. Right. I was, I was working in a kitchen and, you know, paying rent and I left school as well. Unfortunately at 14, I tried to go back a couple times and, Life without discipline, you know, kids need rules. Right? We are not, you know, right. A few things, a few things are more retarded than a than a teenager, right? So, um, from there, things it, it was it was probably still four years before I really got. It was it was I was eighteen before I seventeen, sorry, before I tried coke for the first time. But okay, um, after that, things just kind of went however they were going to go, right? And and, and I, it was only seventeen before I tried coke because it was the first time it was put in front of me. I would have had 14, 15, 16, no problem. Right? Gotcha. So, so your, your reasoning or your, your, the reason why you tried Coke is it was there in front of you. Yeah. And why not try it? Just essentially like I do okay the on the marijuana. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is at about 17 years old. 17. Yeah. So the, the first episode of my podcast was Coke. Let's try it. And it explains that whole moment. I, I guess I'd done um, quite a bit of acid up until that point because I was on acid that time that I, First time I tried coke, but that's oh, that okay. Was so it crazy, goes it, right, yeah. So so it goes back earlier than the coke, yeah. And the thing about acid and psychedelics is typically they're not addictive, though, right? Like it's it, okay. They're they're a fun thing that some people do, and if people stick to psychedelics, they have a great life, right? Um, so I never considered that, and still don't consider that that, that portion of my life to be the problem portion. I, you know, I, I did mushrooms for a while, but I was like, oh, okay, I kind of outgrew that. They're not addictive drugs in, in at least physically, most certainly not physically addicting and, and barely even in, in my mind, psychologically addicting. Um, yeah. Once you try the Coke, though, man, like, like everything, but everything goes to next level. Your baseline changes, right? If that makes sense. Sure. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wait, wait, is it safe to say then that at 17 years old, your drug of choice was Coke? Still no. See, and that's funny. It's still pot for the most part, pot and booze, right? Um, okay. How old am I? I'm eight. No, so, okay. I tried crack when I was 17, like Coke crack. And I don't know if you know the difference between Coke and crack, like really know the difference? No. Nope. 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 It's about 500 bucks a day. It'd be the difference. So, oh, okay. <laughs> like when a guy's got a habit. Um, crack is much more intense, much more, much more compelling in an addictive way. 
and uh, goes goes by way much or way faster as well. It's it's uh, it's a totally different level. So I would I started with crack and then stopped when I was twenty something like that around twenty. Okay, yeah, and it just got progressively worse from from seventeen to twenty. It was here and there, and then it you know eventually it became all consuming somewhere around twenty, and then I stopped doing crack and went to Coke. And I was just doing Coke after that. Just right in quotes there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a crazy thing to say for somebody that isn't part of the life. Like just did Coke. But again, the difference is like $500 a day. Right. Um, and, and I went down that path for 19 years and nine months before I touched crack again and, wow. and stayed on Coke. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, What, what about cocaine, crack, Coke? What about it? What, what excited you about it? Why, Um, why did you enjoy what you were experiencing when you were on it? So with crack, it is, it's the um, euphoria that instant, everything goes away euphoria, right? And which is the Mm -hmm. case with so many drugs, so many, uh, the big guys anyway, the big drugs. Um. But it, but again, it was my rock bottom back then. The, the first time I, I stopped doing crack, everybody's got a different rock bottom. Mine was, okay, I've got no more friends. I've got no family. Um, I, we just smoked an eight ball. Powers got cut off. We got an eviction notice. Like, this is fucked, man. We got to, we got to figure this out. Right. So, um, so I stopped, but the Coke and I just, Scott, I just learned this the other day, um, as why the Coke and I couldn't have, I couldn't have verbalized it before the other day anyway, as to why Coke was so, so much of a draw for me. Um, ADHD, uh, you know, w- w- with Ritalin, you know, when, um, when, when a kid has ADHD, it calms them down. And when they don't, it's here's fucking nitrous for you. Right. <laughs> and it send the kid right. to the next level. Coke is the same thing. Right. So normal people, Coke sends up. If you have ADHD, Coke is like, I can focus all this scatter. And, and, and so much more ADHD is than, than, Hey, look, squirrel, you know, it's so much more than that. It is K it's chaos in your mind all the time. Right. So for those, all those years of just doing Coke, I, all of a sudden I could focus and I didn't understand that till the other day when it, when I was having a talk with somebody who's quite well versed in the subject. And because, because I have, I have ADHD now and it keeps getting progressively more noticeable to me. I don't know if worse is the right way. But I'm becoming more and more aware of it all the time, and I, you know, I was talking, and, and it was brought to my attention. Well, this is this is why you've been high for all these years. You didn't even know. You didn't even know what you were dealing with, and then, sure, and then, sure. as my sobriety continues to grow, it, it's like it's like fuck, man. Like I gotta do something. I I'm not kidding, Scott. When I say I have five different sign-ins for Chrome for Google Chrome, and at any point on my computer, they're all open. With four or five tabs inside them each, right? Like it's, yeah, it's sure. fucking nuts, right? And, and right. I was talking to, to somebody that I've, you know, started seeing or whatever the other day. And she, um, she, she said, would you just shut the fuck up for a second? I was like, what? Right. She said, you just, just stop talking. I can't, I can't, I just can't. I said, what are you talking about? And, and she said, like, you're all over the, you're talking about four things at once. Just stop it. I don't even hear that. I hear a normal conversation sure. in my mind. That's what's happening, right? But her, she's like, hey, there's like, this, you can't do this anymore. And then I sent her a voice text the, the next day, which I'm, I do all the time because I get tired of typing and you know, whatever. And I went back and read it 
and went, oh my, oh, I get it now, right? It was like three things in there. How the hell did you do that? You know, right? There's just pieces of things. So um, now I understand. I I guess I kind of went off on a, down the rabbit hole there, but now I kind of understand why I was doing it for so long. And, right. and it, it, it helps me to, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's another excuse, but no, it's not. It's, at least it helps me to understand. Right? So. Yeah. Now, during that time, was there any type of um, depression issues or was it just the feeling that it gave you? <sighs> the depression, the depression. Um, that's been in and out of my life always, right? Always. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure on, well, I know I was. Um, addressing those feelings with drugs for a long time. Um, but it's such a hard, like, you don't know that in, when you're in it, right? It's, it's not until you get sober that you really understand why, why you're doing it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you're not an expert behind the science of, of an addict. We leave that kind of up to the captain. But in, in your opinion, do you think that the hardcore drug you, most, sorry, most, hardcore drug users and i'm talking about when they've graduated from marijuana into something else mm-hmm. do you think it stems from uh, a mental health concern Absolutely. like depression 100 now is yeah. that what starts it or is that what keeps them on it or both are you depressed because you do drugs or do you do drugs because you're depressed how does one even answer that question right it's a snake eating its Fair tail enough. and it and it's right it, it, where it starts it who knows right but i, I mean like we can pretty much tell you where it ends all the time too all right you know that's, sure and sure. that's a really tough part and i've actually done um i did an episode about nature versus nurture that way um about how, how people get to become addicts and, and and i had an opportunity to learn a lot and of course the captain has shed so much light i'm like what I've learned from him in the few in the few episodes we've done is absolutely amazing, and 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 he will tell you point blank, um, addiction is lack of connection. That's period. That's what it is, right? Yeah. And it's your brain doing its job too well, right? You don't have the connection you're searching for, so your brain finds a way to you know, some you know psychosomatic thing that happens there, and and your brain finds a way to deal with the things that uh, that that you're missing out on, or or that it doesn't want to deal with, I guess, depending on you know, the circumstance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's the next drug and when and why? Um, it stays coke for, for a long time um, on to crack and back like back to crack. And when I was a functioning addict for many years. Um, I've been I, – I owned a chain of four retail shops at one point not that long ago I've uh, in which – for vaping, you know, for – and Right. Yeah, and – uh, with that, I, I was taken, you know, we went to the Saskatchewan legislature where I had, you know, appointments of politicians. I was very well known across in my province and, and even across the country. Um, I, I had to job in oil field sales where I made, you know, the six figures and all that jazz. I, I, management for a, for a large trucking company, I, you know, where they took us you know, on vacations every year. But through all of that, it's there. And then I picked up the crack again. And mm-hmm. that's when my life, that was about five years ago now and then fuck it was a fast fast fall from grace from there right you know um things went really bad really bad at that point so and and, how so um well i was i was a dealer um and i was selling i was doing very very well for myself and you know i had i'm an entrepreneur by 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 nature so i put that effort into you know into selling drugs and I, i i very on paper business by all accounts, right? And it was run just like right. that. Um, 
So the, the challenge was, and I used to say to, to my ex that I ended up smoking crack with, the moment I take a hoot, everything goes really bad because I have too much credit. And, you know, credit in the way of my tabs, my, my tab with a dealer could be as high as $20,000 at any given time. Right. And, and so yeah. if I start smoking crack, I used to tell her it's going to go bad. Right. Like there's no, there's yeah. no off switch. There's no shit. I can't do this anymore. Right. And, um, I, I've never been a thief per se. I mean, I've stolen, but, um, to steal to supply my habit. No, I, it's just not a regular thing. It's just, I'm not a thief by nature. So, yeah. so selling drugs is how I did it for all these years. And the moment I picked it up, it was like, fuck, it's probably three months before the, the crumble really started, right? Before I couldn't maintain stealing from Peter to pay Paul and back and forth. Cause, you know, it's like a bloody network of guys that all wanted to give me credit, you know, for their drugs. And, you know, so then, then it got really, really bad. And, um, just trying to, to maintain that was impossible anymore. And the fall starts, right? So, so when you got credit, that means they, they front you the drugs and you give them the money later. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly. So right. were you then marking, marking up the price enough to cover your, your credit or your debt at um, that point? For a little while, but that only goes on for so long. Right. I mean, yeah. It, when I was snorting Coke, I couldn't snort enough. I couldn't snort my profit. If I snorted my profit, I'd be dead because you, you go through right. so much little, so much less, right? But when right. you're smoking, oh man, like the crack is just, you can put back. For example, my ex from back then, who will refer to, you know, fondly as Satan. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't even say that, but. And, and listen, listen, Chuck, Chuck does a lot of, uh, made up names for the, for his show. Satan is not a made up name. That's actually, uh, yeah. I, I looked it up in research for this episode and I, I saw that name on the birth certificate. Yeah. So All, right. So um, All right. Sorry. But she, Enough joking. Sorry. Her habit alone cost me $500 a day, $15,000 a month at wholesale price. Jesus. Right. So wow. imagine trying to maintain that. And my habit, you know, and then right. and cover off this growing debt at the same time. And it was just like, yeah, like no way. Obviously, there's no way that's going to work out. And it, I was before then I was gambling, too. So I didn't have this big nest egg. Right. So I, I was gambling thousand bucks a day. No problem. Right. I was like me and the VLTs are just like, right? you know. Yeah. Um, so when I started smoking crack, I had to stop gambling. But I didn't have this big nest egg to fall back on because I was spending my money as fast as I made it anyway. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. So when you when you started dealing, um, were you or were you not using? Uh, I've always I've always um, used the drug I was selling. So it's you know okay. Back when pot, when when we were you know kids, it was fifteen dollars for a gram, and we'd split that gram three ways. And I'd be like, "This is fucking stupid, right?" Well, if I buy it, then I can sell some joints. I can roll some joints and sell that, and at least smoke my joint or two for free. That was me. I was the first kid to do that in our peer group. And it just, that follows on throughout the rest of my life. Right. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to ask a question and, and understand this is not, I'm not being judgmental at all. This is just me trying to understand. And also your, your listeners who are, are not addicts, their loved ones of addicts or, or whatever, get a better understanding for this. So as you're selling, mm-hmm. does it, does it cross your mind that, one, what you're doing is wrong, mm-hmm. not from just a legal standpoint, but from from a, a, a moral, moral, ethical yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. And two, did it bother you that you're now contributing to uh, what could be the death of another person? 
Mm. Um, yeah, actually, a lot. And I suppose what separates me from, from a lot of people, at least back then, and I don't know because I don't know what goes on in anybody else's mind, but um, I wrestled with that a lot. And I, all the time, it's just when, when we got back into the crack and the coke, and I was watching people around me, you know, their lives fall apart, and I'm taking the money and, and running. But addiction doesn't change your morals. It, it, it helps you to justify things, maybe is a better way. Well, they're going to get it from somebody is the old, you know, everybody, every dealer in the world will say that. And everybody that I express these, these doubts about the morality of it would say, no, we're going to get it from somewhere, right? But it doesn't have to be me, right? It really doesn't have to be me. And at one point, um, I was selling fentanyl uh, towards the end of my career. And there's a whole story there. Um, well, I don't even know how to get into that story, Scott. Uh, it's because that's the real fall from grace for me. And, and maybe I'll just get into it now and, and cut me off at any point if something doesn't make sense to you because it's very relevant to the question that you're asking now. So I decided uh, a few years back that I was going to sell my phone. Uh, so sell the business, the Coke business that I had and get out of it and and just do better, just do better. And um, I'd sold the phone for, for a lot of money. Right? <laughs> and... Well, I'll just say it for, for $40,000. And the guy that was buying it and I had an arrangement, once he had given me 20000 he would take control of the business. I would, I would hand it over to him. And then I would take payments based on sales until until the balance was paid. So we got to that point. He owed me 17000 At By this point, he had control of the phone. And he called me to say, you know, hey, man, like, but if I give you five ounces of fentanyl, which at the time in, in the city I was in was $4,000 an ounce, it was $20,000. So what if I gave you that and you didn't have to wait around for these payments? And, you know, I was like, oh, shit. I made a couple of phone calls. I got two guys that will take this off me, cash money right now. So I'm like, hey, I'm out. I don't have to wait. I, my, this accelerates my plan. I'm out the game. I'm, this is good. This is good. And somehow in my head, I'm justifying this. Of course, by that, at that point, we hadn't started losing everybody we knew to fentanyl. I knew it was bad. I knew it was mm -hmm. death, but I was still able to do it. Hey, somewhere I'm just one time deal. I can justify this. And, um, he had sent it out in the mail to his, to his runner locally guy that was, that was working in the city I'm in. He, the runner picks it up at the, at the cure, the courier office brings it to me. Uh, he's giving it to me. I got to go meet these two guys. I am 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from being from retirement. He gives it to me. And a minute later, whoop, whoop, I get pulled over. Done. Now I'm looking at. So you, so you made, you made the sale. I, I have the fentanyl on me now. This is the five ounces of fentanyl and I get pulled over. Gotcha. I get pulled over with this. What, oh, you got pulled over. So it wasn't like a setup type thing. No. It, or was it? No. Well, the cops, the drug unit was following him, the runner, this guy's runner. To, and that was the day they were going to drill him anyway. They see me, a known drug dealer, do this thing. And they're like, well, isn't that lucky? They had no idea what they were busting me with. Because they had messed with me a couple times and never really had anything of substance until that day. So I get pulled over and everything changed. It was just, it was like out of the movies, right? Like, it's like, I'm fucking half an hour away from retirement. What the hell, man? And now I'm looking at four to eight years. I'm 
like my whole life fell apart. It, it took me a month to get bail, which is a whole crazy story into itself. How I got bail, but I, I, I won't get into that. But um, so I get back out on the street. I've got nothing. My family is. Uh, I'm still to this day. I doubt whether that was me or whether that was them. It doesn't really matter. I believe that they wanted nothing to do with me. Um, my, my girlfriend and her kids, nothing to do with me. I've got no money. I've got no friends. I've got, because the fall, hey, when you got money and dope, you got friends. And let me tell you, as soon as you don't, it happens so fast. So now I am alone. I've got no money. I've got nothing in the world. And that begins a horrible spiral for me of just, it was really fucking bad. It was really bad. Yeah. So, um, in, in the end, thankfully, um, a few things happened, whatever. Um, I, I didn't end up taking those charges. Um, I ended up beating them. So thank God for that. And uh, you'd think that would woke me up, but I was still a year and a half or so before I, I finally decided that I'd had enough. But um, So after the time in jail, mm -hmm. you're 30 minutes away, you went back to using or selling or both? A lot of using, trying to sell. And, it, and it's like... You're, I'll always, I, I've always sold to supply my habit, but it was like, that's all I was doing by, by this point was just, just grabbing little sales hit wherever I could, marking it up enough and keeping myself as high as I could. Right. Um, anytime I, I would start to do well, uh, I would kill that as soon as a, you can't afford to have a slow day if you're, if you're a crackhead, right? You just can't, mm. right? Because <laughs> right. you, you need those sales, right? And if you, if I don't have a sale every hour, I'm fucked. And so I, I, I could go to bed. Or I could wake up broke, get up to a thousand thousand dollars float, and go to bed broke. And I did that often, like daily, all the time, right? Because <laughs> as soon as the phone stopped ringing, right. I just sit there and smoke it till it was gone, and then go to bed. Right? Yeah, you know. So yeah, it was. It's a it's a messed up thing. Yeah. All right. This is gonna be a really tough question. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna fast forward a little bit, but we are gonna come back to this, mm -hmm. but. So now you have this podcast mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of your Memorial Mondays are um, or the, the couple that I've heard are parents of children who've been murdered by fentanyl poisoning. Are you at all concerned or are is there any thoughts like are these parents going to resent someone like me because I was going to sell this fentanyl? Or have you forgiven yourself? That's a tough one. Um, it's important to know that in that time after I got busted, I sold a lot of fentanyl. Mm -hmm. I did. Little bits. But, well, no, even more than that. So um, that wasn't the only time I messed with it. It was the first time I messed with fentanyl in a, in a business way. I sold a lot after that to supply my habit. And... Um, maybe that's why they hit me so hard these these memorial episodes maybe that's why I care as much as I do I mean I like to think I'd care anyway but um, it has everything to do with why I'm doing what I'm doing now right and, and why I you know and I guess like to, to try and explain that to to a mom right um, 99% of drug dealers in the world, like, like anybody at a street level is just trying to supply the same habit that, that your kid had, or that, you know what I mean? Like, 
And I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't say just in a way to minimize it because it, it weighs heavy on me all the time. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, that that's, it's the addict's brain. You're just, all you're doing is justifying away and making enough money to supply your habit, you know? And that's what most right. drug dealers are. The vast majority of them. There's a lot are, are making, you know, big money and those guys, but you're never going to meet those guys, right? The, the vast majority of those guys are just, are just people trying to supply their habit. Just, you know, so. Yeah. Um, it, it weighs it weighs really heavily on me, and, and it's um, sure. And but I, I I would have to be honest if any of them ever asked me. So yeah. yeah. So the the reason why I asked that is I um, in the short time that I've known you, I know how genuine you are, and I know how much you care about putting an end to this this madness, mm-hmm. uh, this epidemic, mm-hmm. and I think it's important for for your listeners, the the ones that haven't gotten to talk to, to know how genuine you are and how this was your past, but it's not who you are. The, 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 the decisions that you made in the past is not what defines you. No. And, um, you know, I can't speak for, for, for everybody, but I'm sure that nobody that you're interviewing and stuff has any resentment towards you. It was just a way of, I, I wanted to invoke that invoke that emotion out of you, no, you to explain did. you did <laughs> to but to but but to really illustrate what you're trying to do and how you're trying to give back and in ways I think and, and I'm not a psychologist but I think in ways this is you're going to be your way for the rest of your life to make amends and allow you to forgive yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that this is why you're doing this. No. You're not doing this to make yourself feel better. You're doing this because you genuinely care about the problem and, and, and I do fixing the problem. I do. And I, do. and I don't mean, I didn't mean to take over the interview. I apologize. I just wanted to explain my reasonings behind. It's, I, I wanted you. <laughs> that's the reason I asked you to do this, Scott. So, you know, yeah. yeah. And I just, I just wanted to explain my reasonings behind asking the question that way in the way that I did. No, no, I understand it. I understand it. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty and transparency. Oh, it's fair. it's that's what makes this show so great. It's, it's it's the least I can do is to be honest and transparent in, in my mind right. right now. And I, hey, I've spent most of my life bullshitting everybody around me, you know. So you know, um, there's there's a portion here that I that I did want to touch on, and it's it's the landscape of of drugs and how things have changed in an unbelievable way. So. If you've been sober for, I'm going to say five years, but maybe not even that long or more, um, you really don't know what's going on out there anymore. And it is fucked up. Is um, The two things have happened, and that's meth and fentanyl. And mm-hmm. um, the thing with fentanyl, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I never tried it, right? not knowingly anyway, there's once or twice, but um, I've never intentionally tried it. I've never had to fight that battle which is beyond anything in how do I explain this? I'm going to jump around for a bit here, but it's just, it's me trying to, to get into it. It's not the ADHD. Um, the first time I, I was exposed to fentanyl, like in a, in a real way, I was sharing a motel room with this girl and um, I had seen dope sick before, but and I, dope sick being when somebody's in withdrawals, but only when like in a, ornery kind of grumpy way, right? Somebody is getting, sure. you know, I'd never really seen what it does to people. And I left and she'd gone to bed and she was starting to get sick. And I was, you know, whatever. And I'd come back with whoever I'd come back with. And I had this kind of bedroom in the back room in that motel room. And 
we had to cut through her the main room where she was sleeping. And I said, be quiet. She was sick when she went to bed. I don't know what she's going to be like when she wakes up. And we went in the back room. And all of a sudden, I hear this horrible, horrible noise. And it's her, like, screaming, whining, crying thing. And I come out. And this poor girl has woken up and is now in the throes of withdrawals and screaming in pain, rolling around on the bed, just, like, making no sense. And there was no doubt in my mind that, that she was suffering in a way. Uh, and, and since then, I've heard it heard it compared to having your bones turning to dust while you have the flu times 100. And it just keeps, wow. it gets worse and worse and worse. And I have seen grown, well, I should say, I, it took me three hours at that point because fentanyl was still so new. I had, didn't have any connections. And I'm the guy, like I could get anything, right? But it was so new to the city that I just, it took me three hours to find her some. And the whole while I sat there with her while she was, while she suffered and genuinely suffered. And, and I've seen this now so many times and it's, I'm glad I never had to fight that fight. And anybody who says, well, they chose that. Fuck you. You know what? Right. It was a bunch of really small choices that led to that point because there isn't a goddamn soul who chose to be so sick that they like, like they felt they were being tortured and that they were shitting themselves, a grown ass person shitting themselves because they don't have their drug. Nobody chose that. There isn't a damn person who did, right? So I get really defensive of, of that they chose this attitude. Um, mm -hmm. It's a bunch of micro choices, and you have no idea what's behind those micro choices. You don't know what pain, what trauma, what anything they're, they're covering up with that or, or trying to. You don't know their fucking story. So no, they didn't choose anything. So you've got a drug that will do that to people, a drug that people will do anything for once they're addicted to it. And, and the, the addiction takes no time. Like no time, a couple of days of doing that and your life is gone. Like you're, you're off, you're, you're in a really bad place. So people will do absolutely anything for her. And then you've got math. This is a drug that'll keep them awake for two weeks at a time doing whatever it is they have to do. So the landscape has changed in a way. Violence. I went 20 years of being in and out a lot of in of the drug game. And not once did I have an issue with violence. Not once did I feel like I was about to be robbed. Not once, nothing. And in the last two years of, of my time in active addiction, I've experienced things that I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish on Satan himself. It was horrible, horrible violence. Things fucked, just fucked, right? And, and ultimately that's kind of what gets to the end of my crazy days is it went from being this fun place I was going to when I got high to being this, an escape from something else. And it wasn't fun anymore. It just wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I, you know, eventually I, I went into, well, we're going to talk about mom, I guess, if we're going to get there. So I'm going to well, let you, you know, right? Yeah. 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 So, so no, 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 we're definitely going to get there, but yeah. I want to kind of, mm -hmm. uh, follow somewhat linear, but, uh, recognizing that we're going to go up and down. Uh, of course. So right. you, you get out of jail mm -hmm. and, um, you said you still use, tried to sell for about a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was the moment? What 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 made you say enough is enough? Christmas, the year before last year, before last Christmas. So 21, 22, 21, 21, Christmas 21. Um, second Christmas in a row by myself, in a row by myself. Um, sitting in a basement. Uh, a friend had let me into the house so I wasn't cold, but they were having their family dinner upstairs. And... 
sitting there alone and shitty and just, yeah, it was, it was like, fuck, I can't do this anymore, man. Like, what's, what are you doing? You know? So, um, that was, that was the point for me where I just said, okay, I'm over it. You know? I, I haven't met very many, um, drug addicts, former recovering addicts. Um, I feel like you, you got lucky got because so you lucky. were able to just kind of make that decision. And I'm sure it was st- uh, still a process. Well, and, but and yeah, it's, it's recovery is not linear at all. Right. right. People, correct. people don't say I'm quitting one day and it, I'm saying correct, yeah. but I have no idea. No, but, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've heard you talk about it enough. Yeah. That's, it took me, um, so mom and, and thank God for mom on this one, you know, oh, so much, um, no matter how, ridiculous our conversations would be um she'd always end with you are loved you know right and that, and that right. message in the show right so um finally when i did call her i knew i knew you know so she uh she came in and picked me up and and helped me get set up in a place to live in in the town that you know just outside of where i was where she was living and i to get into detox um so do i go this do we want to go this far yet into the recovery thing yeah. Uh-oh. Um. Yeah, let's do it. And let's just see where it goes, right? So, I uh, to get into detox, and detox is not treatment. They're two very separate things. Detox is a very raw, um, raw is probably the wrong word, but um, detox is just what it sounds. It literally is. It's about detoxing yourself from, from everything and learning something along the way. But to get into detox, there's only so many beds. Right, like the, there's only so much money that that's put aside for for this type of thing. Sure, and they have to have a way to qualify people and, and know that they're the people that are, you know, making are going to make a real effort. So, the first thing that it is is you have to call in every day. So you call in one day and say, hey, "Here's my name. This is what I'm trying to detox from," and at least where I am, that's that's where it was, or at least where I was. Um, you call in, this is who I am, yada, yada. And then they'll say, okay, you're number 35, which is about where I was every time I, I started on the list. So you, you're number 35 in line for this bed. Every day between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., whatever the, whatever the window is, you have to call in again and check in, say, okay. And they'll say, okay, maybe you're 34, maybe you're 30, maybe you're still 35. But you have to do this every single day as you work your way down the list. If you miss a day, and I and when I say miss a day, I mean it's five after the window, you're done. You go right, right back to the beginning. You're number 35 again or whatever the list is at. Right. So it's it's quite the process. And the people used to tell me, oh, it's, it takes like six weeks to get through the list. It's impossible. And and realistically, it never took me longer than three three weeks to get through the list. But I would get there and I would piss off into you know into the city for a quick run because I was tired of being broke and I just wanted to go make a couple bucks. And I'd come back two weeks later with my ass in my hand, going, I fucked up again, mm-hmm. mom, you know, and, and start the process over. And and I did that. I went through the list three times. I went twice. I, I think all in, I, it was about five times anyway that I got through that list. But, um, and even then on my last time through, I, I still didn't, I still wasn't done, right? <laughs> I still wasn't done. Right. Um, I, it was every time I quit. It got less severe than the time before. I was, it was like almost tapering off, which is a horrible thing. It's a a bad mentality to take on. And and I hope nobody thinks that that's okay. Right. Um, or an excuse to relapse, but, um, 
until finally um my dad passing was uh and the shame and the guilt from him never he hadn't seen me sober in years you know years and years and years so um that's that's really what pushed me into to, to just being done just being done right. wow yeah that's that's amazing because in, in and again i'm no expert but in the stories that i hear it's usually a trigger mm. into either starting or going back and you use that as a way to be like i'm done and was was the the thought in your mind okay I, my dad didn't get to see me sober i want my mom to be able to see me sober is that kind of that's a big or am i putting words in your mouth no, that's that's a big part of it um it's actually it's funny my dad got sick with cancer and i knew that i have i'm gonna have to get back to the city and and go see him and it didn't work out but i that day i was like okay hey, i'm done right i'm not doing this shit anymore because my dad's gonna see me sober and then he um i didn't make it to the city in time so that night i got really fucked up you know i was you know i'd, I'd been clean for like a week and a half or something or two weeks and but i got i got blasted that night i got really bad um and then the next day i woke up and went okay that's enough so i don't know that that was it i mean obviously on, on some level it was uh but that exact thought no not so much um my, my parents they divorced 30 some years ago and uh they both remarried the most amazing people I, you know right and, and so we've had two two groups of parents for for my whole life right two moms two dads and so I would never put those two things, I guess. It, it, yeah, that's it. Those, those, the two ideas of one saw me, one shouldn't have to, that there were two different worlds, right? My mom and my dad and my right. mom and my dad were just two different worlds. So I, I, I wouldn't actually say it that way. No, but, um, and, and with mom, it's just, she's, I don't know, man. She's so awesome. <laughs> she she yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know how to say that right now, but, um, she just accepts. She just accepts me, right? So, mm -hmm. so you're you're clean now, mm -hmm. and uh, I know I'm sure part of the process is making amends. Yeah, you know, apologizing or or whatnot. Mm -hmm. This is gonna be tough. Mm, fuck. <laughs> Who was the hardest person to apologize to, and why? Mom. Um, mom, because she, uh, she's every time I fucked up, like after, like we went for years without talking and then like really talking or seeing each other. And then finally she comes to pick me up and like four or five times, whatever it was, I went back in and fucked up again and came and every single time she just sitting there. Okay. It's okay. Right. And, and clear boundaries, really clear boundaries, right? And, and mom's a master at that. And, and, and I wish, well, we're going to have my mom this coming week here, right? So, um, I can't wait. For, I can't wait to hear that for the parents. She did such a perfect job of that balance because addiction is lack of connection, as the captain says. So you can't push people out of your life. But at the same time, you have to, you have to have these boundaries and there's a, there's a tightrope there to walk that if you can find the right, the right balance, it's, it's perfect. Right. And my mom found that. And, you know, so, 
it's, it's, it is, it's one, it's a crazy, amazing thing that she's done. Right. And so many people aren't that lucky in that their, their, their parents or their families have to just love them from afar in a dismissed kind of way. And, and, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, how the hell they do it sometimes, you know, in my mind, right. but, um, but one of the things that, that came out early in my recovery. And, and again, my, my first attempts at recovery was to stop turning my stories or stop saying sorry and started saying, thank you. So turn your stories into thank yous because your families, they've heard it. They know you're sorry when you're sorry and they know that, you know, you're probably going to fuck up again, whatever. They don't need to hear it over and over again. And, and my attitude is you get one good, sincere one out of me. And after that, I'm just, so instead of sorry for fucking up again, just say thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to prove I can do better again. Right. And there's a powerful thing that happens within yourself and, and with your loved ones when, when you can finally, when you can find that, you know, and it, it changes things in a big way for you. So, yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Um, so, and, and I kind of know the answer. So along the same lines, mm -hmm. so why, uh, why this podcast? What, mm -hmm. what inspired you? Why? Okay. When I first, when mom first come and pick me up, um, I think, I think I'd gone back in twice or three times and came out again, or I came back into the fold, if you will, you know, uh, and one day I start doing this, this, um, this blog just out of nowhere one day. I thought, what the hell? Right. I started a Facebook page. Um, the name Chuck LaFlange I've had as an alter ego for years. And I said, okay, I'm going to use the Chuck name. And then, um, I started doing this blog. Well, day five, I had 7,000 views. And I was like, wow, the fuck's going on here? And I found, um, where I was connecting with people in, in a way that I, I didn't know that I could was the, the loved ones of addicts and, and trying to help them understand how an addict's brain works. So, you know, like your son didn't just get up and decide to fuck up his life again. That's not, that's not how this works, right? Like, and, and there's at one point in the blog where I talk about, I get up and uh, I, would, I used to go on these music marches. So I put on my Bluetooth headphones and I just walk and walk and walk through the city and, you know, just fresh air and some exercise. And I called my music march and I did it every day. And I, I get up and my headphones are dead because I forgot to charge them. And then fuck, something else went wrong and something else. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there bawling and my brain has somehow come back to, hey, we should try and quote score. Right. And it all starts with like your headphones being dead, <laughs> but, but the demons are always trying to find a way in. They're always trying to find a way in and, and they look for weakness and they'll just, you know, and in that particular blog post, I made a really, I, I found a way to word it properly so that people can understand and, and the loved ones grew to it. I made a couple mistakes in that blog. Um, what I now know to be mistakes, at least for my journey. Um, I was sharing my sober count, uh, daily. So, hey, it's a day, blah, blah, sober. And it was, it was great. It was, you know, people were finding some inspiration. I was getting support from, it was, it was fucking crazy, man. Um, um, I should say the daily gratitudes. That's where this is born as well. Um, my mom, the first time she'd come to pick me up, and I just remember it was so funny. We're on the way back into town and, and she's like, oh, is this like, and my life just changed. Like it went from chaos and being homeless and being like, scared and high and all of these things to all of a sudden I'm driving back to, to the, you know, 
to go live in a different town and in this apartment with these people that uh, what the, are not with these people, but these people were helping my, my mom get set up for me. And my whole life was changing. And it was like, Things were going really fast in my brain. And my mom's like, and daily gratitudes. You got to do these daily gratitudes. You got to write them down every day. And I remember thinking, fuck off. <laughs> like, and I, I, not in a bad way, but it was like, I, I don't even, I can't even process what the fuck you're talking about right now. Right. Like I'm, my right. mind's, you know, you, you just bought me a fucking, you know, something at Burger King, like a meal at Burger King. And I'm like, so stoked to be eating that right now. So could we just like not, you know? And I think it was the third, yeah, third or fourth time I came back in. She, she kind of hit me almost with this book and said, okay, you're doing your daily gratitudes now because this is fucking important, right? And, and, and it did. I started taking note of them, but I started putting them in my in my blog every day. And this one lady who uh, we call Trail Mix, <laughs> randomly, she figures out who my mom is because it's, you know, it's a smaller town. She's able to do that and drops off this care package at my mom's for me, right? And like just out of nowhere because I, I said something about, and, and I had to get careful at this point, Scott. It's funny. I said, I'm so broke, I can't afford to turn around, right? And in this blog post with this daily gratitudes. And so all of a sudden there's like socks and underwear and like trail mix and like all these, <laughs> this random shit in this, in this care package from this girl. So I call her trail mix and we're actually still quite close to this day. We talk quite a bit. Um, she, uh, um, included this handwritten letter with her daily gratitudes on it. And it was just like, she like addictions touched her life in a horrible way a bunch of times in her not being the addict, but, and the fact that she had taken the time to like handwrite anything was just fucking crazy to me. Right. But, and then it included this personal note and a thank you to me and, and, and her hand, you know, and her gratitudes in it. And I just, I knew then that it's like, fuck, I'm onto something like I'm connecting, I'm helping somebody here. And this is really great. Right. You know, so back into addiction, I go, <laughs> life gets fucked. And I, I I come back because of dad's death and I'm living in this fucking crazy house. Um, I posted or looked at a, a Facebook ad and said, hey, is this a drug-free home? Because sobriety is pretty important to me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not even two weeks goes by. And it's like nobody's even pretending anymore. Right? <laughs> There's fucking crack and meth and like people. It's just in, it's nuts, right? Due to some of my experiences in, uh, in active addiction at the end there, uh, I've got some you know, pretty acute case of PTSD and the insanity of it there. It left me so fucked up. They, uh, New Year's Eve, I come out and there's, I won't speak nationalities because it, it'll sound racist, but there's these guys sitting at the table that are quite obviously dealers. New Year's Eve, there's like six of them. I'm like, fuck sakes, man. So whatever, I make my sandwich or whatever it was. And I go back into the bedroom and like 10 minutes later, I hear a shotgun go off, uh, not, not shoot, but cock. And, the, the homeowners screaming at these guys, get the fuck out of his house. And I shit you not, like that shook me so bad that I ended up um, in my room for two days, like literally not leaving for two days. I pissed in a cup and dumped out the window because I, I was just like, I was just so shook by it all. Right. And I was talking to mom and she's like, well, what do you want to do for work? And it's like, fuck, I can't work. You know, like, I can't, what, what am I going to do, right? Like, I can't, I get on the bus and I want to, like, I want to cry, right? Like, it was so bad, the, the trauma thing. And then um, I said, I wish I could just write. You know, I wish I could just write. And she says, whatever, however she ended the conversation. Next day, she's like, have you ever thought of a podcast? And so a couple of days later, or, or a week or so later, I end up leaving that place. I fucking left when I moved out. 
I lowered my bags out the bedroom window with an extension cord. <laughs> I was like, these guys are fucking crazy, man. Like, I'm not handling this anymore. And I guess you should keep in mind, I'm an alpha. I have been my whole life. I've got presence in bravado. And when I walk into a room, I can generally speaking, you know, I can have somewhat not command of the room, in, in, but I can just, you know, like yourself, I'm sure, right? When, you know, you kind of, you know, you have that. And I had changed so much with this shit, this trauma that was going on. Um, so the podcasting, she mentioned it to me, uh, floated around. I wasn't out of that place for three days when I started it. You know, I was just like, I need to do this for me. I don't want to blog anymore. Sharing my sober count didn't work out for me. When I relapsed, it left me in relapse. I couldn't come back to it because I felt so shitty about it. You know, there's a bunch of things that didn't help with the blog or didn't work with the blog, but the podcast now though, podcast, I'd learned the shit from the blog. I can talk. I can always talk. It's my thing I'm good at. And I needed to find some way to, to get it out, just to get it all out. Right. And, um, that's where that was born. I, I mean, yeah, Windows 7 laptop. This is three and a half months ago now, right? Windows yeah. 7 laptop, no microphone. Right? <laughs> just, right. Oh, fuck, it was horrible, right? <laughs> but, um, and, and ultimately with the goal of making a living at it, right? And, and that's been from the get go because I, I can't sit around and, and bitch and whine, but realistically, I don't think a normal nine to five job at this point, I don't, I don't have, handle conflict like I used to. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, and I've always been management and, It'd be really tough for me to, really, really tough for me to handle a normal job. Yeah. Um, maybe more so now because of the podcast, ironically, um, helping me in a therapeutic way, right? But right now, uh, yeah, so I started off and said, fuck it, I'm going to work at this as hard as I possibly can until I can make a living at doing it. And, well, that's yeah. what I do. And, and yeah, and I and I think when you say make a living at it at doing it, you know, there's there's two different ways of looking at it. There's some people who are like, oh, he's just trying to make money, which is not what I think you're trying to do at all. Mm -hmm. I think you're trying to make a living at it so you can dedicate your self to this full time and change as many lives as you possibly without can. a doubt, without a doubt, right? I, I mean, I, I, yes, I'm trying to make a living, but I always say I don't want to be rich. I just want to be order pizza when I want to, rich, so I can keep doing what I'm doing, right? right? You know. Like, Instead of mayonnaise right. sandwiches, which is it's quite often that's that's in the budget. So, right? It's, yeah, um, it's pretty crazy. It, it's, yeah, but it's because of that mentality, and because I don't have a regular job, I've been able to push and push and push and push harder than than somebody else might who's got a full time job and you know responsibilities sure. and all that. Right? Not not everybody can dedicate twelve to fourteen hours a day to to hearing themselves talk. Right? So, you know. right. Mm -hmm. So last question, and it's a, it's a pretty obvious one, but or it's a pretty obvious answer, I think. Mm -hmm. So other than making a living uh, doing this podcast, what, what, are you, what are you hoping to achieve? What's your goals of, of Ashes to Awesome podcast? Well, we have, and I say we now because it is so much more than me. Um, it's so much more than me, right? We've got, when I, when I came back to the city here, all my old friends from 20 years ago who I get addicted. Okay. I'm going to bounce on this one for a second, but I do get to the point here, Scott. Um, one of the worst things addictions does to people, it just makes you believe that nobody cares. And it's its way of keeping its boot on your neck and keeping you doing what you're doing because you're such a fuck up and nobody cares about you anymore. And just what's the point, right? And I come back to the city and all these people who would I have thought wanted nothing to do with me, quite the opposite. They love me. I am loved by so many people. And everybody that I'm close to has 
has their own little role within the show now in a really crazy way, right? Like uh, everybody <laughs> in every name that I mentioned in the, you know, they've all contributed something. Um, most recently, Carl, the atheist and, and his wife, Casper there, they put me up for like a month and a half, no rent, no nothing. Just, Hey, sit here, do your thing, grow your thing and, and, you know, get on your feet and, and do what you got to do. Um, and, and of course, Casper has been my IT girl <laughs> since day one, really. And, and, and Carl, the atheist is a big part of the show. They all, everybody has these little parts in the show and everybody wants to contribute. So when I say we, I mean very much we, it is, I'm just the guy, the voice, the voice now, right? There's these guys are so powerful. So everybody is a part of this with me and what we are doing now and, and what our mission is. And, and I've finally just defined it over the last couple of weeks as I'm talking to some people about funding, um, the missions in no particular order, right? Uh, first and foremost is to offer support and, um, and comfort to not just addicts and at whatever stage in a, of addiction they're in, but to their loved ones, right? And and the loved ones are somebody's got to be looking out for them too. And the the other mission is to raise awareness to the fact that the people we're losing are so much more than a statistic, and and how they died, right? And and that's where the Memorial Mondays come from. And and if I can do those two things, if I can. If I can make a living, if I can pay my rent and order pizza, doing those things and, and spreading that message, then I'm really, in fact, living my best life. And that's all I want. So, yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Chuck, thank you so much for trusting me to do this interview. Uh, um, thank you, man. It, right. it, it's a huge, huge honor. And and it's a huge honor to just be part of part of this team. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say that actually. It's, I'm glad you said that, Scott. Because I'm going to interrupt you for a quick second here before you finish. go for okay. it. Um, you guys, uh, you you've been a huge part of the team, right? And it's it's it's, it's, it's almost easy to do when somebody gets attached to it. They're like, "Well, this is a real thing, right?" But you personally, um, I mean, you've offered me some mentorship and and some guidance that that's invaluable. But what you did the other day when you called me was you validated my entire thing here. And that's, we talk about this in the show. I don't really talk about it much. People don't pay attention to addicts. Politicians don't pay attention to addicts, right? And and why should they? That's not going to be once. They're not showing up to vote. Fuck, they're barely showing up for supper. Um, But my idea was, and the reason we do Memorial Mondays the way that we do them, is to get you, the normies, the muggles, to understand who these people are and to really to really drive that home. And when you called me after listening to your first Memorial Monday and, and told me how much it impacted you, it was like validation, man. It was about like, it was like the whole thing just makes sense to me now. Right. And, and as far as getting you to do the interview, you know, I, I've got some respect for, for what you do and your professionalism, but because you are a normie, right? Because you are the muggle, it just makes sense to me to, to get your take on what's going on here and to, you know, and, and for you to ask questions from that point of view in hopes that I can connect with more people that are, they're in the same position. So, yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for doing it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it, like I said, it's an honor. I love what you're doing. It's so important. And the more and more I listen to your episodes, the more and more I realize how important it truly is. And uh, just, like I said, thanks for letting me be part of this. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, 
I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit. I know that usually when I'm the guest, I do the daily gratitude as well. I'm not going to let you off easy, okay? This was my interview, God damn it, okay? Uh, so, real quick, I do want to do one you can do daily gratitude. No, you can do the, uh, the no, ads. No, 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 you do this. Uh, okay, yeah. fine, I'll do hey, Yeah, You're here. Right? All right, so, so daily, daily gratitudes are brought to you by my podcast, the No New Friends Podcast, the podcast for adults who like to laugh at adulting. Now, listen, I, uh, you know, you can hear me on uh, on just the tips Thursday, <laughs> and 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 I'm all about having a good time and 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 making you laugh and all that. So the side of me you heard today is not the side that you'll hear on the podcast on my podcast. We very rarely take anything serious. Um, we've got a lot of celebrity guests, and it's just a fun podcast. And uh, and. I, what what you all are going through is is tough. It's rough. Uh, whether it's your you're recovering from addiction, whether you're the loved one of 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 an addict, it's not easy. And uh, if I can provide any levity to your week, if I can provide any laughter to your week, uh, then I, I've contributed to the show, and and that's what I want. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do one daily gratitude real quick. I'm going to do two. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm grateful for you, Chuck, uh, for what you're doing and and having me on here, uh, trusting me with this big, important interview, and then uh, letting me come on and have some fun with you on Thursdays. Um, my next one is I am grateful. Uh, one of so. Chuck allowed me to live stream this interview on my discord uh, for my Patreon members. And, and uh, you know, it's a weird time of day. We usually don't broadcast this time of day, but we did have uh, one watch from the very beginning to the very end. Huh. And uh, you know, has never, he's like me, he's a normie, I'm a, a muggle, uh, whatever you want to call us. And he's very much looking forward to listening to your podcast full time as well. So oh, great, great. You know, yeah, you got you. another muggle. So, <laughs> but I'm grateful for him for, uh, for, for, for watching us both supporting me and supporting you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, take it away. All right. Um, I, I mean, the low hanging fruit and, you know, I got to reciprocate it and it's not the low hanging fruit. It, it's you for doing this, man. And it, it's the gratitudes are, are the, the daily gratitudes are, um, they're about smalls and bigs, right? And, and this is a big, Thank you for for doing this. Um, we felt real so- quick. I got to yeah. interject my personality real quick, and I know yep. this is serious stuff. Yeah. But uh, I would I would love to have low hanging fruit because it would mean <laughs> that it was not big or you know. And then you said big and small, so I feel very attacked right now. <laughs> got to do it, eh? Got to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no. Um, it, it was huge, uh, and I asked you on short notice too. I know schedules can be tough, right? I mean, Chris, we barely got time to listen to each other's podcasts. Never mind, you know, <laughs> jump in on impromptu shit to, to do this. So I, I sincerely appreciate you doing that. Um, it's the universe has a way, man. It, it really does. I, I had other plans for this Tuesday. They didn't work out. And here's why, because we got to do this. So it works with mom coming on this weekend. It was really important for me to, uh, Hey, let's get this out now. And then that way, who knows what happens as a result. So thank you for showing up for that. Um, my sobriety, my sobriety is, um, it's the, it has to be the first thing in my life. It's the one, the thing I care more about than anything. I can't do justice to the rest of the things I love without my sobriety. So, um, those are pretty big. And the listeners, I mean, each and every one of you guys, every time you tune in, every time you talk to somebody about the show, whatever you're doing, keep doing it, please. Cause we are growing and, uh, and, and I could be more grateful for that. And, uh, hey, listen, if you're in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey 
Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, go to a meeting, call into detox, do whatever the hell it is you need to do to start that journey. It's so much better on this side. And if you're the loved one of an addict, you've just taken the time to listen to my show. And for that, I am very, very grateful. If you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that addict, let them know they are loved. Use the words, you are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back. Bottom of the ninth. Up against the odds, running out of time, only got one shot when it's really do or die. When your back's against the wall, when you're fighting for your life, do you believe in you or not? I'm a believer, I believe. I'm a believer, I believe. Second guessing every breath, I'm full of questions. Passes full of cigarettes, alcohol, and depression. Therapists and all the different pills can get expensive. All this bottled up aggression, I'm too old to get arrested. Almost died trying to get here. Got high through my best years. Got sober, then I relapsed, then I cleaned up, got my head clear. Sometimes it feels like there ain't to believe in. But I believe that we're out here for a reason. You don't think you're a fighter, but I know you are. You are alive. From the pressure I put on myself for years Tired from my 20s to whiskey bottles and beers Tired of smiling while I've been holding back tears But I believe I can do it, so I'm here I'm a believer I believe I'm a believer I believe I've been told I have a death wish No one's interested Cold and too aggressive Close to hypertension I'm broken from the pressure Explosive with my temper I'm sober but I'm stressing And hoping it gets better Am I falling off? Should I give it up or put it all on pause? Like all this dream so I can visit home and talk to mom? Maybe all I need's another Instagram post With a quote about believing in yourself when you're low You don't think you're a fighter But I know you are You are a liar You say you are But I'm a believer, nothing is impossible I'm a believer, I believe I'm a believer, I believe You don't think you're a fighter, but I know